When we share our stories with one another, we inspire each other. We help each other to grow. We also help one another to feel less alone. I'm Amanda Solar. I'm the host of Soulful Connections, and I'm the founder of SoulfulLiving.com. Join me and let's connect. Connection. Thank you for all coming to the Soulful Connections podcast. This is what I call a soulful conversation, and it's a group conversation. So I want to tell you what instigated it, and then I'm going to ask people to introduce themselves. Um, what instigated it was that, you know, Roe versus Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court. And so we um, all, you know, got angry and decided that we needed to um, do something. We didn't know what, we needed to talk about it. And so here we are, we're hopping on a Zoom to record a Soulful Conversation podcast. So I'm Amanda Solar, and I'm the host of Soulful Connections. Um, I'm gonna just go around. Linda, can you introduce yourself? Sure, I'm Linda Poya, <laughs> friend of Amanda's for many years. Chuck? Uh, I'm Chuck Hall. I think we're all friends of Amanda. Um, I work as a business coach and consultant. Um, I also uh, recently received my certification as a peer specialist for mental health. And I wanted to bring that fact in because it, it pertains to a lot of my views on this situation. That's great. And by the way, congratulations on that, Chuck. Thank you, Amanda. And Lorraine, can you introduce yourself? Sure, I'm Lorraine Kilcheski. Been friends with Amanda for many, many years and with Linda too. <laughs> um, do you think it's an important topic to discuss? Yeah. So, And Lorraine works in the health field. And Clara, can you introduce yourself? I'm Clara and Amanda is my mom. <laughs> <laughs> and we're missing my friend Roseanne who may jump on you know, she'll be like a special late coming guest if she's, if she's able to. So I just want to point out what might seem ironic is that, you know, I know Linda and Lorraine from our years at St. Jude's. I know Linda, we were also neighbors, <laughs> but I think it's kind of important because we all have varying thoughts about abortion, varying perspectives on it. And we have, you know, personal thoughts. So, um, so can we start out, um, with somebody and I won't say, you know, I won't call upon somebody, but somebody kind of speaking about what they first thought maybe when they heard this news and did you see it coming? Claire, do you want to start? <laughs> I so saw it coming. I feel like it's so predictable and I was disgusted by it because like it's from such a small group of people that really most of them really never have to worry about this type of thing and 
like I don't see why their authority should be over others. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I know my mother who is 88 years old told me that she felt completely disrespected. She felt like somebody had told her that her body was not hers to command. And she felt as though she was told that she was actually, you know, a second class citizen. And I was stunned, even though like Clara, I saw it coming. I was stunned by the fact that um, people are legislating, you know, their, their morality, they're legislating a religious <laughs> belief. And as somebody who did carry a baby to full term three times, I know the changes that I experienced in my body. And as also somebody who dealt with a child who was in severe health crisis, who was sometimes at the precipice of losing her life <laughs> um, and had to, you know, struggle for that. I, I know the cost psychologically and um, the, the financial cost of having a child who has significant needs. So it wasn't lost on me that nobody's gonna take care of this life once it comes out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have to say, strangely enough, I think I was shocked when I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have been shocked, I know. I shouldn't have been as surprised as I was, I'll say that because I really, when it happened, I was like, I cannot believe we are going back to taking away our rights. So I think in some ways, maybe I was naive, you know, and then afterwards yeah. I was like, well, of course I should have seen this coming, you know, but I was still surprised that it <laughs> actually happened. Yeah. Lynn, what about you? Um, I was a little surprised too. I'm with Lorraine. I kind of knew when the conservatives ended up, um, getting the two, um, Supreme court justices on, we were kind of in trouble. I knew that that kind of was an issue and some major red flags. Um, but I think there was still a part of me that was always like, no, they, they won't, they won't. This has been, you know, how many years has, has Roe stood and, oh, it just can't happen. And yet it, it did. So like Lorraine, I was a little surprised and yet looking back on it, um, shouldn't be. And also they lied. The other thing is that when they were questioned, they actually indicated that they would not overturn Roe versus Wade. So there's that part of you that just can't help but believe people when they speak. <laughs> so you don't think that these justices, I mean, obviously we've seen them lie about many, many things, sadly, but so, you know, um, so there's that. Chuck, you were expressing some thoughts before we even hopped on. Can you chime in with, with your thoughts about this? Oh, man, I don't know that I can go back to all those, those quick thoughts, but um, it did not surprise me that they made this decision. Um, I think the revelation to me has been how quick the implications of it have taken place with the state laws and the accounts we're seeing of the way uh, women, and I will go also say their spouses are suffering um, because I, I don't think this is just a, a woman's issue. Um, but the thing that really galls me 
is the hypocrisy of the views that we're hearing. So a lot of the same people who were saying like, you can't force me to wear a mask, you can't force me to have a vaccination, you can't force me to stay home because it's my right, are now quickly taking away the agency of, of um, anyone who has a uterus and taking away the bodily autonomy um, very quickly while at the same time proudly standing up for their own rights to not wear masks. And, you know, I, I don't wanna make this too broad, but to suddenly like a lot of those are the same people who are saying I have the right to have unlimited firepower and weaponry that can kill other people indiscriminately um, while at the same time taking away a person's individual right over their own body and their own lives and their own future. That's a really good point. It's, it's, I, and I think one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about it was because it does seem indicative of, first of all, in and of itself, it is horrifying to me because it is um, forcing, it, it's a, it's a control over other people's body. It's over their beliefs. It's, it's so restrictive. It also harms, you know, it harms minorities and impoverished people more than it does you know, people of means who can find a way um, through, it harms children. I mean, we all know the story about the 10 year old girl forced to carry mm -hmm. a child. It harms, it, you know, people are going after uh, contraception the day after, but there are so many levels to it. And it's, um, it's, but it is, you're right, Chuck, it's, it's kind of indicative of a, ver, a larger concern um, because there's this kind of fervor that's sweeping the nation. It's, and I don't want to call it a religious fervor because I cannot wrap my head around people who are okay with treating people, you know, without healthcare, with locking people you know, up in cages if they're immigrant children, if they're, you know, tan-skinned children. Um, it, so it doesn't feel like it's kind of a religious or Christian or pro-life thing to do because there are so many other ways you can care for life that people aren't, you know, And, you know, doing. for a party who says, oh, you know, we must follow the constitution, talk about crapping all over the constitution because the the whole idea of the separation of church and state has just been the bedrock of this country from the very beginning and you know i can tell you guys that personally for me if one of my daughters were to get pregnant i would obviously uh work very very hard to have them not have an abortion that's just a personal thing within our family but there is no way i would want my personal feelings or let's say morality or however you want to call it to affect my neighbor and what she and her daughter decide and that's the whole thing about this country is that everyone has the right to decide what's best for them um, and that there should be a, a separation of church and state that should never come into our laws in any way whatsoever so yeah linda you, i mean you raise a really good point um I, I know some people who have had abortions um 
And I don't know of anybody who has, I'll go ahead and use this word deliberately. Amanda knows I'm, I'm very precise with words. I don't know anybody who's been gleeful about having an abortion, right? And, and the people that I know, it has been really hard. And, you know, in one case, um, you know, a woman had tried very hard to get pregnant and she was one of her twins had already died in her body and the other one was killing her. And so her choice was, do I die and both of my babies or do I die and, or do I, do I live and both of my babies die? Um, and she has gone on to have a, a child that is alive and is a teenager and has a good life and she has a good life. But um, the, the new laws seem to be forcing one person's agenda or, or one group of people's agenda on others. And I think what you're saying is, you know, is absolutely true. I, I really don't know anybody who quote unquote likes abortion, right? But it's, it's a difficult choice. And I'll, I'll introduce an element of pop culture in here. There's a, a really great song by the musical group Everlast um, called What It's Like. And it talks about having to walk in the shoes of other people in different situations. And one situation has to do with abortion. Um, but, you know, I think that's one of our tenets in America is we should not force our will on others in the normal course of living our own lives. Absolutely. Yeah, and I don't really know what is happening. It's such a, it's such a pendulum swing because it, it used to be that I, I thought we could agree on certain things. Like, and I guess not when I think it hasn't been that long, but even this whole, in our, where we live in Central Bucks County, they've just passed the most restrictive, is it specifically called a book ban? Would I'm you call it sure, that? Yeah. You know? It's the most restrictive in the state of Pennsylvania, which is really unnecessary because like, first of all, like what teenager is like running to buy those books or like read them from the library? But like the fact that they're taking them away and creating it just unable situations like so that people can't read those types of books is really kind of the opposite of school. Like where does that, what does that teach us? It's yeah. really awful and really just completely unnecessary. They're creating problems that haven't even been posed by anyone other than them. Right. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. the truth. So they passed this ban where the superintendent is able to designate people to select what books are acceptable in the library and what are not. They are also, by the way, telling teachers, they have told teachers, there's, they are not allowed to have the pride flags in the classroom. So it seems like there's a group of people who are extremely frightened of homosexuality. That, that a lot of it is, is that, not all of it, because they seem to also be afraid of anything that talks about race. But Clara is completely right when she says, it wasn't like people were banging down the library doors <laughs> to read books. <laughs> Well, and, and I mean, here's the reality. I know, Clara, you might find this hard to believe, but we were all teenagers once upon a time. And <laughs> when, when the adults were telling us, oh, definitely don't do that, all it did was raise our curiosity yeah. about why are they telling us not to do that? Maybe we should <laughs> yeah. go find out for ourselves. So, you know, in a weird way, 
maybe this will serve to like uh, expand the minds and the curiosity and the reading list, uh, you know, of, of students in the school district. That's so true. I thought that same thing. I thought by them making such a big deal of this and making a list of what can't be in libraries, a lot of kids are going to purposely now run out and find other places to get those books. So they might have created their own their own monster. Little did they yeah. know. Yeah, and if I had a little library, if I lived in Doylestown still and I had a little library, I'd be stocking my little library with all the books that were banned <laughs> and like yeah, advertising yeah. in social media where to come. And I'd also, I'd also put my ring camera facing the little library. So if anybody tried to vandalize it, I would be able to see who was, who was vandalizing my library. I said the same thing that I think bookstores should have a table you know, they've got their tables, some are rating different months. They should have a table of banned books. Yes. You know what? Yeah. Just put it right out there. But same thing, bookstores, libraries, put it out there. Right. Because, and you know what? The kids are going to look for the stuff because now it's become the forbidden fruit for them. Right. Yeah. And, you know, so, but the whole thing is just ridiculous. I feel like between that and the Roe versus Wade, we are moving backwards. Yeah. You know, yes. country, that's is, right. You know. Yeah, there's, there's another aspect that I, I had mentioned to, to Amanda before um, that I'd like to, like to bring in. So the reason I referenced the peer mental health specialist, one of the concepts um, in the training that I've had for mental health really focuses on um, self-mastery and self-determination. And someone who has a mental health challenge should be at the center of their planning and their lives and, and take responsibility for their mental health and their physical health and their recovery. And that lines up with you know, the great values I think we have in America of self-determination um, and agency over our lives. We make our own decisions unless we are you know, so mentally impaired that we're going to harm ourselves or harm others. We have a right to make our own decisions um, and that's one of the foundational beliefs of our nation, which I think makes us great. You know, if my neighbor wants to paint their house. We don't live in a homeowners association. If they want to paint their house purple and I don't like the color, that's their right. You know, if they want to put pink shutters on their house, if they want to plant a tree that I don't like the look of the tree, that's their right. And suddenly we have such deep personal choices now being ruled by the government. And the only time that I think we really clearly take away somebody's rights so dramatically is in a time of war when our entire existence is threatened. You know, we have the military draft and people are called upon to sacrifice their lives, but we are not at a point where our entire nation is threatened and our way of life is threatened. Um, and I don't see any call to take away people's agency over their own lives and their own decisions. Right. You know what's striking me too, you know, this is a group, you know, not using the words liberal and conservative in a political way, but we're not wild and, and crazy people like this. <laughs> okay, Chuck is. <laughs> no. No, I'm very I'm very moderate. If anything, you if know? anything, I'm a I'm a bipolar voter. I'm I'm officially registered as an independent. Yeah. And so so it's just telling that this is, you know, we all, like I said at the beginning, have very varying views about this personally. And like Linda stressed, this 
is a country where we are allowed to have no religion, a religion, right. and you are legislating religion. And when I was growing up, that wasn't considered patriotic. And, mm -hmm. you know, I used to read stories about JFK that that was, he had to fight against his Catholicism in, because yes. people believed that he was going to make decisions based upon being a Christian Catholic. Yeah, and look at, you know, look at where we are now. Um, I don't, I think it's important that we all speak at this point because I do think um, we almost have an obligation, you know, especially when it comes to communities who are restricting rights of children. It's not, again, just about the book ban. It's also, we have a room called the Rainbow Room which is a safe haven for um, a bunch of children, whatever you know their gender is or their sexual identity or any of that, they can find acceptance in that rainbow room. And there's a lot of aggressive attempts to dismantle that. Mm -hmm. So what's happening is kids are not able to find a safe place. So a lot of these things that are happening I guess parents are saying, well, we're trying to keep kids safe, but I think they're creating a world in which they're less safe. Yeah. Especially Chuck, like what you said about, you know, even arms and assault weapons. And, you know, Julie is getting ready, one of my daughters to go back to school. And she said, mommy, hey, well, what do I do to stay safe? What is the answer to that, you guys? Right. right. <laughs> You know, uh, and I have, not, a, I have a daughter who's a teacher. And so I feel the same way. I'm like my daughter and she uh, is in a school district um, that's very inner city. Um, most of her, over half of her children are below the poverty line. Um, but she's like, I am not going to bring a gun into my classroom. She's like, and that's what they want. They want teachers now to start to to arm themselves. And she was like, there's no way that I'm going to bring a gun into my elementary classroom. It's just not going to happen. But so both for the teachers and for the students. So we have I don't know what parents who are standing up at school board meetings, reading passages from the Godfather oh, <laughs> as if that's the, literally that happened. I did not make that up. A woman, somebody read from the Godfather and and we all, and we have kids who are in classrooms that the doors don't even lock. Um, so this is where the time and attention is going. And yet we live in a world where, you know, our kids are in jeopardy and not just our kids. I mean, uh, like you said, Linda, our, our teachers and support staff, and it, it's, it's very strange. So I don't know exactly what the answers are. Yeah, um, you know, I will say, and I guess I will use, we all know who I'm talking about, I think when I mentioned the Uvalde mom, um, who, yes. you know, while all the, all the predominantly men police officers were standing around waiting for something to happen, you know, as I saw it put today, this mom drove 40 miles, got to the school, got arrested, talked herself out of handcuffs, ran into the school with no weapons, no training, and got her kids out while everyone was trying to figure out what to do. So I think this is kind of a model 
and I guess I, I need to say this as, as the only man in, in this room. Um, <laughs> Thank you, know, you, by the way. Yeah, the, the moms, <laughs> you know, I think, I think the moms are the key to saving this whole thing. And I'd like to see men do more um, to, you know, to address this, um, you know, in my, in my own little way. And I, I so I'm, I'm Linda and, and uh, Roseanne, you don't know this, but I'm neurodivergent. I'm, I'm on the autism spectrum. So I think differently than most people. And one of my reflections was, um, I fear I'm going to kill my wife. And I put this on LinkedIn. So I'm 61, my wife is 55. And so this is just the way my brain works. I went on Google and said, what are the odds of us getting pregnant? It's below 1%, but in that 1%, um, we would certainly be within the high risk group for a complicated pregnancy. And so I, I, my reflection is, could I end up inadvertently killing my wife now with this, this new law? And I think men need to be thinking about this. This is not a, a women's issue. This is an issue that affects all of us, affects our daughters, our wives, our sisters, um, our friends, uh, you know, our nieces, our godchildren, everybody in our lives is affected by, by this. And the men that I know who have become widowers at a young age, um, it's, it's tragic. And we need to think about this um, as, as not a gender issue, but as a life and a, uh, a rights and a freedom issue um, for all of us. Right. Mm -hmm. It's true. And if you are really pro-life, there are so <laughs> many ways that you can support lives. There are right. so many ways that you can support children, women, families. Um, and so if this were just done, accept this, this is, you know, law, move forward and focus on, okay, what do we do? I mean, if, if I have a child with special needs, how are you going to help that child? If I carry that child to, you know, there are so many ways that we can really provide health care for people who don't have it. You know, we can really make a difference. And this is a waste <clears throat> of time. I sometimes feel like when we discuss all of these issues, like, like when Clara said the book ban is so unnecessary, they're creating a problem that doesn't exist. Right. Um, why? You know, is it diversionary? Like, what is the reason our kids are not running to read? I wish that they were. I wish that this book ban was going to incite a whole group of kids to read. But guess what? It's not. Nobody is pulling Toni Morrison books left and right out of, out of the library. If they did, I would have more hope for the future. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know? because she's a stunning writer and she has a rhythm that exposes, has exposed me to ideas that without that rhythm, I would never have understood, um, you know, that cadence took me into a whole world that I wouldn't have understood without it. So, um, you know, I, I'm not sure. I don't know, Clara, do you have any answers? 
Um, sort of. I just think that it's so weird that people claim to be like so pro-life. Yeah, as soon as a child reaches school age, they're just fine with the entire school getting shot up at any point. Not only that, but whenever we're in like lockdown drills or like actual lockdowns in school, we're not allowed to take out our phones and text our parents or do anything, call anyone. And if we do, we get into trouble. So like, how are we supposed to protect ourselves if we can't, if what they teach us is to go like hide in corners and turn off the lights, they don't teach us to leave. Like they don't actually, most people who claim to be pro-life don't actually care about lives, especially of children. They just let them die in schools. Like what happens once the baby is born and turns five and goes to kindergarten? It's so weirdly selective and the people are so pro-birth and a lot less pro-life or else they would be doing something to actually solve problems rather than just create new ones that haven't existed. It's like, I saw this thing and it was like saying how we're bringing back so many 70s trends, like the abolition of women's rights and flare pants. Like it's so... <laughs> I feel like we're just creating so many issues that didn't need to I'm all right with the flare pants. Just putting it out. (laughs) But we're creating so many issues that didn't need to be creative and not created. And now we're going to have to undo all of them in the future if we want to actually live in a country that like starts off with we the people instead of an oligarchy that is hardly even that. It's just becoming more like fascist and ruled by like a certain teeny group of people rather than the actual people who are getting affected by these things it's so unfair and unnecessary and i just don't see why it has to happen in the first place so true i kept thinking what you just said too the whole time that uh, your mom was talking about it is it's pro-birth it's not pro-life it is pro-birth they just want you to have that child they don't want to have to do anything at all to help that child once it's here there are no real you know any kind of social services we have they're trying to cut back for these kids that's so true mm-hmm. it just doesn't make any sense i agree 100 percent. it's like yes you have to have the baby we're going to force you but then they don't care what happens next right you know how many people kids you know have are homeless don't have food don't have medical care um the schools they don't care how many school shootings do we need before somebody does something to protect the children obviously not enough yet because it's not happening but yeah we're so pro-life 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 well not really no because i don't understand it's this it's this one issue that's the you know it's it's the protection of a fetus over every other thing and then, like you said, Lorraine, there is, there's no social services that we let our kids starve. There are kids yeah. that don't have food in their bellies. You know, mm-hmm. we um, let our kids go without healthcare. Even the social services that help and stop people from getting abused. You know, how many people say, oh, they're overworked and understaffed and we're not protecting lives, you know? Okay. I like in okay if you go up to like most pro-life like quote-unquote pro-life people most and you say like imagine this situation I know it's imaginary but just think in your heads 
um, a situation where there's like a building on fire and you can only save one thing, a four-year-old child or two little embryos, like you would save the child. You're not going to save the life that isn't even really a life. Like it's just kind That's of disgusting mm-hmm. how they're letting just like the government is really just letting children die while trying to protect ones who are unborn if they even like are able to again quote unquote live long enough to be born even though i truly don't think that a fetus is really living this may sound a little bit mean to the fetuses but don't worry they can't hear it Um, but i feel like they're like a parasite just like feeding off their mother like they're not a baby until they're born okay yeah take them out they can't survive they won't even know yeah. they can't speak. i can't yeah there, there's a there's a um something here so amanda and i particip- have participated in a discussion before about kind of catholic right these two, i think right both of you did right yeah so, so yeah. it's the it's the idea of you know I, I I was Catholic I was baptized Catholic I may not be Catholic anymore but I feel like I'm kind of Catholic yeah. but and I understand there's a lot of controversy about this but back in the 1980s Clara in the Dark Ages um, <laughs> there was a a um, document by Pope John Paul II called the Seamless Garment and it was if you're going to be pro-life. You need to be pro-life in all these areas. It's not just about abortion. It's be intellectually consistent in the way you support life. And it may sound like I'm supporting this, but I'm not supporting it. Um, I live in Georgia and there are bills being put forth in Georgia to, um, if they're going to declare that a fetus is a life from the, the moment of conception, then the um, mother uh, of, of the, the embryo should be able to start claiming a tax deduction for a child yes. on their state taxes from the moment of conception and yep. should also be able to seek health insurance for herself and the embryo under the biological father's health insurance and should also be able to start claiming child support. So at least I have to respect the intellectual consistency of that, that if you're saying this is really a life, then there are implications for that and there are responsibilities. And so, you know, the question that it raises is how many of these pro-life men are going to suddenly feel different about abortion if it starts to hit them in the pocket and having to take responsibility from quote unquote, the moment of life. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, well, I think that, um, you know, I should probably bring this to a close, but I don't know, you know, I guess going forward, is there any, I vote, right? Vote, I was just gonna say vote, vote, and then vote. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 11 months to vote. 11 months till power can vote. And and the thing is, I think it's also a really good lesson in um, how important voting is. And that doesn't just mean voting in um, 
you know, major elections, look at the school board in Central Bucks County. Right. It tells you how important every election really and Chuck, is. And Chuck, I have to tell you, that's why I was an independent myself for years and years and years, but I, I had to pick a party. Um, and that is because being an independent, as you probably know, you can't vote in the local elections. And I do, at some point I thought, no, I've got to start changing my local government to then hopefully eventually change, you know, the federal government. So I, that's why I picked a party. Does it bother you, Chuck, at all to know that you, as an independent, you can't vote for the local government? Well, let me tell you, things are different here in Georgia. I was so just going to ask every, that. Every election you go to in Georgia as a an independent voter, you get to choose whether you want to vote as a Republican, a Democrat, or a nonpartisan. And, and it's a state you, thing. Yeah. Okay. And so, so I chose in the uh, last primary election, I held my nose, and I, I was a lifelong Republican until 2015. Um, and I always felt like I was a, an extreme liberal Republican, and it got to the point where I could no longer even attach my name to that and defend it. So um, I voted as a Republican voter in our primary election um, here in, in Georgia uh, earlier this year, and I think that's really a great way to do it. And then um, I could have voted as a nonpartisan if I wanted to but I only would have gotten to vote for like local referendum issues. I wouldn't have had a say about who was, who was running for office. Uh, so, you know, I think voting is important and I think election reform is really important as well. Yeah, uh, and the way our election system is set up in most cases is that the extremes of the left and the extremes of the right are who end up winning in the primaries uh, and then voters are left with, do I want the extreme left or the extreme right? When actually I believe that we have a majority in the middle. Um, yeah. And if you look at things like the right to choose, I wanna say the statistic I saw recently was 73% of Americans believe that it's an individual right and it should right. not be prescribed by any government. Um, right. And yet right. you, we see what's happening. Yeah. It's funny you said that, Linda, because I never knew that that was a state thing. I thought that that was like everywhere you went. If you were an independent, you you couldn't. I just learned to say. Well, you <laughs> know what? I didn't know it either. But David Thornburg is um, he has this thing called the um, the Committee of Seventy in mm -hmm. the Philadelphia, and one of the things that he's trying to change in Pennsylvania is just that that oh, independent, great. but it's an uphill battle because nobody in either party wants that to happen. You know, it, yeah. it's kind of a power thing. So um, so I just find that interesting. And it, it would be really interesting if people didn't just vote along party lines because I know a lot of Republican um, men and women, but mostly women who I know are completely outraged by this decision of the whole Roe versus Wade overturning. Mm -hmm. And right. they do believe in their body autonomy and right. they do believe. So I just think it would be really, you know, again, you know, people can't give up. They have to speak 
and they have to, like you said, all of you vote and they have to talk. And, and lastly, the, the other thing I just want to point out is what we're doing right now. I mean, granted, there really isn't somebody on this particular call who has a difference of opinion in this arena. But having said that, I think we also have to be able to have conversations. That seems to be a lost art. And I know that you can't have conversations. Like some of the people that I listened to, for example, with the whole book banning thing, I could hear them and know that there would be no possibility of having a constructive conversation because there was, you know, I wouldn't be capable of it anyway because I wouldn't know how to speak to that uh, to that level of, I don't know if it's an intellect thing, if it's a just, I'm entrenched in my position. If it's fear, I'm so afraid of people who I don't understand. But most people, I feel like we should be able to converse more. And if we can just talk, you know, listen, my I'm raised by, you know, my father, has really he was a lifelong republican uh is no longer but was lifelong republican for like 80 years <laughs> and very challenged by originally this whole um pro-life discussion um but he first of all says you know many women don't have a choice and he as a man would not force his religious belief, there you, you know, upon right. other women. And, and he understands the health implications and the mental health implications. Um, and he's just a moral person. And so I, but I have had many discussion back in the day with him, you know, um, as, as we both evolved in our thinking. So. Well, it seems to me, not only with the abortion, as Chuck had said, not only with the abortion issue, but with the gun issue, the majority of Americans, the majority of them believe the same way. And yet none of them are being heard. Like none of them, you know, most uh, Americans believe in background checks having yes. to do with the gun situation. Most Americans believe in a woman's right to choose. So the frustrating part about this whole thing is like Chuck said, only the two extremes are getting heard in this conversation and not the, the majority of, of the people that, and, and that's some, what we somehow have to change, but I just don't yeah, know how. Yeah, that's well said. Yeah, there's another, there's another factor here that is kind of morbid to think about, but a young woman recently said to me, um, sadly, what we need is for all these old white men who are forcing their views on us, we need them to die. And we need the, the younger, more enlightened generation to take over as the majority of the voters. And, you know, that's, that's a really sad thing to think about. But, you know, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that because I think that the political infrastructure is so entrenched that it's gonna be an uphill battle and the only, the only other thing to do is, and I'll, I'll just be very crass about this, is for like these old white men trying to inflict their views on the rest of the world. They need to get put out of out the pasture. And it doesn't mean they have to die. It just means that they have to be voted into a relevancy. Um, right. And so, 
you know, all we can do to, um, to influence the election. And if people really believe that these policies are wrong, then people need to take action. Um, and, and, you know, we need to, to make voices heard or let voices be heard. And I know it's yeah, not man. easy, but, um, you know, there, there's, there's just a lot of hope because I think the younger generation, like our, our children, see yeah, the world yeah. differently than their grandfathers and great-grandfathers do. I agree with that, Chuck. I agree. Yeah, I mean, it, it does sometimes take courage, um, but I agree. I think we need to speak, speak and speak up. And like you guys said, someone just came in and he was looking at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> so I keep feel like I'm adding, adding one more thing, but today I had um, a memory come up on Facebook where I said something like, wouldn't it be great if we would embrace the audacity of hope rather than the desperation of fear? And I was like, audacity of hope, that rings a bell with me. Where did I pick that up from? And that was a book by Barack Obama. Obama yeah. um, yes. and, and, you know, I'm not here to say that, you know, everyone should follow Barack Obama, but I think that the term audacity of hope is something that we really need at this time. Um, and Love I think that. if we think about what's going on politically, it really is the desperation of fear and trying to like, yeah. people trying to force their wills on other people. You're right. right, Chuck. And you know, fear is hard to talk to. Remember when I was saying, I don't know what it is when, you know, about some people it's impossible to talk to. Uh, my youngest used to be very afraid of going to kindergarten. She was terrified. And I remember sitting her down and being very logical and explaining that kindergarten was very safe and this is what was going to happen. And, and she couldn't hear me. She was terrified. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is, in some instances, what we are dealing with. You are so right. We are dealing with a level of fear that can't be spoken to. You know, we can, we can speak, but we can't speak to everybody. There is a level of fear that we're going to have to kind of just keep on moving like, through and around. Yeah. So thank you. You guys, thank you so much for in, engaging in this discussion. I know not everybody who listens to the podcast will appreciate it. But I do respect everybody's, you know, thoughts and um, anybody is welcome to share their thoughts with us. Uh, they can send it to me via email and um, they can maybe jump on a different podcast and we can discuss <laughs> it. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, Amanda, I would say for anybody who like disagrees with the right to choose, then you owe yourself and you owe the world to be morally and intellectually consistent. So yeah. if, you're, if we're going to force people to have children, then let's force the economic and social responsibility on that. And let's make sure that any of those children are taken care of so they don't live traumatized lives and struggle throughout their lives. Um, you know, we're going to force children to be born into the world with parents who don't want them in the world or who can't care for them in the world then we as a people have a responsibility to help them be good human beings and live good lives. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Well said. I agree. Thank you guys. Thank you.
Thank you. Anytime. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Night. Hey, thanks for listening. Giant thank you goes out to show advisor Roseanne Griffiths, the talented musician Bill Aronson, who wrote, produced, performed the Soulful Connections theme song. And a thank you goes out to Brad Sanders for creating the Soulful Connections logo. Love it. That's new this year. So much gratitude to these guys and to my friends and family who continue to listen and guide me. And once again, to you for listening. I would love to hear from you. Please shoot me an email at soulfullife at gmail.com. That's S-O-L-F-U-L-L-I-F-E at gmail.com.